Good morning. Um, talking about money and uh, not having it around um, <laughs> reminds me of um, one of our sort of one of my final uh, preachers in uh, in Kensington Temple in London, and um, <clears throat> the sort of building was pretty pretty rammed and everything. And um, and uh, in the middle of my sermon, the police come in at the back, and um, they <laughs> they walk into a row sort of on the side, and they end up dragging this woman out of uh, out of the service. And I'm trying to concentrate and focus on what I'm doing, and you know, clearly nobody's listening to me at all. Everybody's focused over there. And uh, this poor, this poor, poor lady, or this poor congregation, um, she'd been in our early morning nine o'clock service, and um, she'd taken money out of the offering, and had, had stolen it. And apparently, was we found out later was quite well known to the police. And um, she was asked to leave the nine, but she came back in for the eleven o'clock for a second go, and. Um, <laughs> This time the police were called and took her out and, and all of this, so that's why you don't have cash around, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what we then ended up with was we ended up with bags that had locks on them so that you could put money in, but if you tried to take it out, your fingers got caught. And <laughs> so uh, there you go. That's got nothing to do with anything. But um, <clears throat> yes, we are uh, going to have a look at 1 Peter 4 in, in a moment. Um, my, um, my title, it's like bizarre, is uh, we hate the ways of God or we yield to the ways of God. You can choose which, uh, which you want by the, by, the end of, uh, by the end of our little time together. Um, isn't it wonderful when everything works out the way you want it to? And, um, you know, when it feels like God is really blessing you and there's almost nothing you can do, do wrong and everything you touch turns to gold and all this kind of stuff... And we are so thrilled when we have periods or seasons or seconds like that, and we thank God, it's wonderful to walk with God and all that kind of stuff. Well, two of my, um, I have, um, my wife Delphi and I, we have six children between us. They're all adults, um, so I have great sympathy with the parents still bringing their kids to church and the joys of that and struggles of that. And my, um, my four, at one point my wife, we were church planting and my wife had four of our little ones under six, so it was a quite a quite a quite a something. She used to tell me every week, and um, <coughs> two they're all grown up now. Two of my boys got got married in the last uh, year or two. They had two versions. They had a COVID little version with six, and then a fuller fuller one. And now my daughter's invite uh, decided that she's getting married as well, so she gets married in February. And um, she at our, at the last uh, wedding, she. Uh, was talking to, to my wife um, about how my suit looked old and it didn't fit properly and the jacket was too big and the trousers were too wide. So I've had to be looking around, but guys, aren't suits expensive? Oh my gosh. So I've, we've been to all the outlets that I can find on my travels and you know can't find what I want. So this week I found one on eBay. And if you know anything about Newton Lingwood, is that a name that rings any, any, anybody? Daft prices, hundreds of pounds for a suit, and I managed to find one on eBay for. Thir- now you mustn't, if you, if any of you ever cro- come across my daughter, you must not tell her my suit came from eBay. <laughs> but thirty quid for a five hundred pound suit. You see, God's good, isn't God amazing? And isn't He wonderful? And isn't it great when it all works out? Well, let's have a look at the Bible. You know the book, so you you know where I'm going. Probably one. 1 Peter 4 and 12, dear friends, 
don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. It's gone really quiet. To test you. As though something strange were happen happening to you, but rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is, your, is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's house. If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what, let be, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. It's great when it all works out, but this text says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Folks, we, we have to be real. Life isn't, if you've been a Christian more than 10 minutes, I've been a Christian now for 52 years, some of you will beat that probably. Who can beat that? Oh, more than 52 years, sir. Excellent. Only one of us. Right. But you know, if you've been a Christian, you know, for a little bit of time at all, you know that life doesn't always work out easily or simply. We know that God does not give us necessarily everything that we want, how we want, and when we want it. And we do people a disservice if we present a Jesus and a gospel that is like a, a slot machine that you put your money in and you get out what you want at the bottom. That's why people often get disillusioned with faith because they were told to sort of come to Jesus and he takes all your problems away. He doesn't. He promises to walk with us. He promises to sustain us and bring us through. But he doesn't necessarily promise us an easy, simple life. In fact, here, what he promises us is testing. And I've been, I've been living for the last few, last few weeks, really, in, in, the Psalm, in Psalm 66. And I want to springboard that text, really, into Psalm 66, and I'm, I'm reading a few verses from an old book of common prayer uh, with the old 1662 version in it. It's got some great language in it. Um, but I want to turn to you, turn you to a couple of verses in there that talk about this process of testing. Psalm 66 and verse 4 says, Come hither, behold the works of God, how wonderful he is, in his doings towards the children of men. He turns the sea into dry land, so they went through the water on foot. So we rejoice. He rules with his power forever. His eyes behold his people. That's a beautiful text. Obviously, it's talking about when the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, and what they face is the Red Sea. And they've got the army of Egypt coming behind them, they've got the Red Sea uh, in front of them, and they haven't read the rest of the story. They don't know how God works, they don't know that a miracle is, is coming, and they're facing the enemy behind, 
the, the, the Red Sea in front, and there's bound to be fear and panic and anger at the leadership. Not that... Anyway, we'll move on from that one. Um, terrible situation to be in. And if, if all we had there, if that's the only bit of the Bible that we had, we would say that we serve a God of miracles, a God of wonders, a God who steps into any and every crisis with a miracle and sorts the problem and enables us to walk through the Red Sea. God makes a way. God is a miracle worker. That's what we would see from that text. And absolutely, we believe that. I won't go into to detail for the sake of time, but... 30-odd years ago, I was diagnosed with osteoarthritis. And my GP diagnosed it, and I had x-rays and all this kind of stuff. And um, a, a visiting preacher came to our, our church in London and prophesied over me. And 30-odd years on, I've never taken another pill. Because we serve a God of miracles. We serve a God who steps in and changes our lives and works remarkable things. But that's not all the text, is it? That's part of the text. The text carries on. If you then look with me at verse uh, 9, he holds our soul in life. He suffers uh, not our feet to slip. For thou, O God, you have proved us. You have tried us like silver is tried. Now, this is the tough bit. You brought us into a snare. You laid trouble upon our loins. You suffered men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and water. And the God of miracles is the same God that tests us and tries us. It's the same God who allows Joseph, which the picture is of there about Joseph in prison. He's not there for days and weeks. He's there for years. The picture about laying trouble on their backs is the picture of them in slavery in Egypt. And the bit uh, in the text there is it says God did this stuff. It wasn't Satan. It wasn't even Pharaoh. It wasn't the enemy. It's God who did this. God was testing and trying his people. He was purifying them. He was growing them. He was developing them. And the God of miracles, the God of the instant answer, is the God of process, the God who works in your life and mine, often through difficulties and challenges. Richard Raw, one of my favorite authors, uh, says that God works greatest through our, in us through prayer, and suffering. The time that you pray the most, if you're like me, is when you're in trouble. <laughs> Not when it's all blessed and wonderful, but when it's going wrong and when it's difficult. And we turn to God there because we learn our vulnerability. We learn our need of him. And somehow we grow in our trust of him in those times of difficulty, trial, and hardship. And our text says that he is a God who opens the Red Sea, but our text also says that he is the God who tests, he is the God who tries, he is the God who sorts the silver out by putting in the fire so the impurities are taken away, so that we actually start to reflect increasingly who and what he is. You did these things, God. And God doesn't do these things because he's nasty. He doesn't do this because he wants to hurt us or to inflict pain. Because our text tells us, look at the end of it. 
the end of verse 12, you brought us out into, my text says, uh, into a wealthy place. A place of abundance. Why does God test? Not because he dislikes you. He tests because he loves you so much. He wants to produce in you the greatest likeness of Jesus that he possibly can. And that takes change. God knows you need to change. And so do I. And he's committed to doing it. He's committed to growing you. He's committed to developing you. He's committed to making you fruitful and and more and more like Jesus. And if he sorted every single problem out just by opening the Red Sea, if he did it, if that's all he did, we wouldn't change. We wouldn't mature. We wouldn't develop. We wouldn't grow because fruit takes time. Fruit takes seasons. The fruit needs winter just like it needs spring and summer. And God tries and God tests and he turns up the heat in our lives so that he can bring us out into that wealthy place, that fruitful place, that place of abundance. But in the middle of the storm, that's a tough place to be, isn't it? John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the soul some of you have been there I've been there it's a hard place it's a place that I wouldn't choose if God asked me you know some of the toughest stuff I've been through in my life if God said to me you know I'm going to work through this will will you agree to it I'd have said no so he didn't ask my permission because he knows the answer some people have this idea that God is this nice polite English gentleman, he asks you, you know, your permission, he only does stuff if you agree. It's utter tosh. That's Greek for it's rubbish. He doesn't. Ask Jonah. You know? Jonah won't follow the will of God, so God shoves him in a great fish, and and he ends up covered in vomit on the seashore. That's not a nice English gentleman asking permission. That's God thinking he's in charge. And that's why the title is you and I can hate the ways of God and we can fight and we can rebel and sometimes we can blame the devil or we can yield to the ways of God. And at times we have to go there and we have to go, God, I don't understand this. God, I don't know where this is going, but Lord, I trust you. Even though I fall, even though I do my own thing, I I, I trust Lord, that you are working. I trust that you are allowing. I trust that you are sending these circumstances and situations into my life so that I come out to that place of fruitfulness, that place of richness, that place of abundance. I'm not talking prosperity gospel. I'm talking about the place where you are content and filled with God and changed and useful in his hands and fruitful. And we need God to work in both ways in our lives. We need the God of miracles and we need the God of process. And often in church what happens is that people believe in one or the other. The charismatic Pentecostal wing of the church believes in the God who opens the Red Sea and it doesn't know what to do when he doesn't do it. It panics. If we haven't got revival, we haven't got anything. Well, it's not true. Because we've got a God of process. We've got a God who says, walk with me every day in faithfulness. Walk with me in a committed 
way. Seek my face every day in the dramatic and in the ordinary and in the everyday. We've got a God of process and we've got a God of miracles. Believe in both. Because he is both. And he works both. And he works both in, in the way that is best for your life and my life. He knows sometimes you need a miracle. Some of you will know, I've told the story before on, the, on Zoom, my first wife died of cancer. And I, I, but my osteoarthritis was instantly healed. Same God. The God who said no to my wife's healing and took her home. And the same God who saw my back and my pain and instantly healed it. God knows. And we have a choice. Do we fight? Do we reject? Or do we yield to the ways of God? And I want to say to you that God sends, God allows trial, challenge, difficulty, the suffering that they live through and the trauma in that New Testament period and the same as in the Psalms. You see, God hasn't changed. He's still working the same way. He works the same way with the Old Testament saints as he does with the New Testament church. But he brings us out to a wide place, to a fruitful place, to a place of abundance, to a place of fruitfulness, a place of blessing. Sometimes you just got to grit your teeth go, God, I trust. God, I yield. God, I submit. Hardest prayer in the Bible? Your will be done. Ooh, that's tough. We roll it out, you know, maybe for years if you've said it as part of the Lord's Prayer, but what a tough prayer to pray. pray. But a right one. So I want to encourage you that the God of miracles is active in your life and the God of process is active in your life to bring you to a place of fruitfulness and abundance so that our lives bring glory to him Lord help us to yield help us to trust help us to know that you are good and that all these things that you send and allow Lord they bring us to that place of width and fruitfulness and blessing and we thank you and we trust you in Jesus name